This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Non and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith, and joining me this week are Adam, Natalie, Kevin, and James to go over the first week of the season and a potential big money new signing at Burnley, which is expected to be announced on Tuesday. But we'll start by talking about the game at Turf Moor on Saturday, a 1 0 defeat to Swansea City. And Natalie, it was quite deja vu from the Premier League two years ago in that we played okay but didn't get anything from it. Yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it? I've got to say, I was pretty deflated when I came off the game on Saturday. Um, I, I actually think we did all right. I think we really grafted, and I think there were some really positive signs. Um, for me, I felt that that was the most composed and the calmest performance that we've put in in an opening Premier League fixture um, in the three um, campaigns that we've played in. I think we were much more confident than the the last two opening games we had. Obviously, the last one was against a very good Chelsea side, so that was um, a little bit different. But you know, I think I think they did all right. But it, it just this is what happens in this league. You can grafting doesn't get you Premier League survival. Grafting works in the championship and it will get you promotion and it will get you um, to where you need to be, but it's not enough in the Premier League. And we got caught again on Saturday. We played, you know, we played as, as well as, as as we could. We, you know, we, we really tried hard, but just couldn't create any goals, unfortunately. I think um, before the match, I was reading uh, an interview with, with David Jones and he was talking about how, uh, last time in the Premier League, we 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 came away so often saying we played really well, but got nothing for it. But you know we can take encouragement from the performance. And um, then this morning, I've been reading an interview with Sam Vox, who's saying we can take encouragement from performance. And it's, it is like you say, it's it's all the same again. It's we played we played decent. Um, it wasn't there was, there was certainly some some concerning um, aspects to performance, but I think on the whole, there were lots of positives to take and. Um, at one point, it looked almost like a matter of time before we were, we were going to get a goal. Um, but I think if you have so much, if you put so much pressure on the opposition like we did at the start of the second half and don't get a goal, then in the Premier League, um, you need to make those chances count, and we didn't. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think um, the, the first half I thought was quite disappointing. We didn't really um, 
get a foothold in the game. But we had a really strong period after half time and just didn't take advantage of it. And you're exactly right; it was exactly the same as a lot of games last time when we didn't really create all that much, but had decent periods in the match, but got done by a bit of a sucker punch at the end. Um, James, do you think Burnley deserved more than a one-nil defeat on Saturday? Absolutely, I thought we were really unlucky. You know, I think if you look at the whole game, um, I'd say on balance we had more chances than they did. Um, I'd say disappointingly really for us, it was sort of we didn't really get Andre Gray the ball in the right positions to sort of make the best of opportunities. You know, he had a few op- he had a few sights of goal where he shot from tight angles, and uh, you know, obviously the keeper made some great saves. And I think if it you know on another day, if you give him the same opportunities in a better position, then we could have sort of won two or three now. But um, it was disappointing. I think particularly, obviously, the, the Michael Keane incident was maybe a turning point where if, if he hadn't been pulled back and had, could have got to that, then we might have comfortably seen the game out. But um, obviously, in the end, it was, a I think, a, a momentary lapse of concentration, wasn't it, that led to their goal? Yeah, I think I was a bit surprised that I shouldn't talk about fine margins after the game because that was his line a couple of years ago when we saw those sorts of games and the Keane decision was a turning point but I don't think it was that I didn't re- I didn't see it on first look I was like why hasn't Keane just put it in it was only on the replay that I saw the pull so I can understand why yeah. the officials just haven't seen that I think a lot of people didn't see it first time around. I, I did and then I didn't realise it was as bad as it is when you see the reverse angle um, but obviously Keane's sort of appealing for it after and to be honest from the position of the linesman there he should really do a lot better um you know, it is quite clear from that reverse angle that he's having his shirt it's, pulled. It's also one of these, and this is something else Dash talks about after the game, that Keane didn't really make that much of it, did he? He sort of appealed, but maybe if his arms had gone up and he'd gone down, then uh, uh, forces well, the referee to make the decision. Yeah, and that is what Dash talked about after the game, didn't he? A little bit of gamesmanship and, uh, you know, Montero sort of gunning for Olympic gold. Um, unfortunately, Turfman was not real, so um, he was struggling there. But, you know, he was going down so easily... And he was saying, well, you know, that's unacceptable. I mean, a bit of gamesmanship, if people are in the box and they, they get touched and they go down, then, you know, that's the risky taking the box, isn't it? But if someone's not even getting touched and they go down, it's sort of ruining the game a bit. And I think sometimes Burnley's players in recent years have tried to be too, um, you know, too principled, yeah, and too honest. And I think we've seen it particularly from Sam Vox a few times where, you know, if he goes down, he wins a penalty, but he, he tries to stay on his feet. He tries to do the right thing, and you know, unfortunately, in the end, we're kind of punished for it. It's difficult because you don't you don't want to see players have to go down, but if they're not getting decisions when they are being fouled, then maybe it's something that we do have to learn and be a bit more clever, a bit more cute. Um, Adam, quite a negative start to the podcast, understandably, when we've lost to a team some would say will be among our relegation rivals. Can you take some positives out of the game for us. Yeah, I think I think the score is one of them. It was only one nil. Um, it was only so, one nil. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's our, our, our problem as Burley fans. We, we've learned to deal with this sort of oh, we played quite well, so we're taking that out of the game. Um, but I suppose that is a, if you you're an optimist, you can you can say that. Um, the other thing is from from the highlights, I saw that Andre Gray looked quite sharp, even though he didn't score. Obviously, um, he looked quite like he was he was really up for it and and looked like he really belonged at this sort of level. I can we I kind of think. We we knew that already because um, he like he's he's a really good player to be honest. Um, so yeah, those are the, the couple of positives I took from from watching um, what I saw of the game. Yeah, I suppose like we said on the podcast last week, we're not Blackburn, although that's probably going to get quite old if we have to keep bringing that one out 
all the time. Um, Kevin, the, the Swansea goal, Tom Heaton palms a header out. It's quite a good save, but could he have done a little bit better? Is this another fine margin type thing? Could he have maybe put it out of the danger zone rather than straight to the Swansea player? Or is it just bad luck? Um, I mean, it's probably it's probably a mixture of the two. Um, yeah, it probably could could have done a little bit better, but um, that that's for, that's for Premier League, I suppose. It's one of those lessons. Maybe in the championship, um, that that wouldn't have led to a goal. Uh, maybe you get away with a little bit more in the championship. I don't know, um, but I, I I don't think we can fault Heaton too much. Um, I don't think he had a particularly bad game. It might be could might have been able to do a little bit better, uh, but I don't think it was a, a huge mistake per se. Yeah, it wasn't a rick. I think it's just maybe particularly highlighted by the fact that the same weekend England's number one goalkeeper Joe Hart was dropped by Man City and number two Jack Bottom was injured so would have been a good time for him to shine rather than perhaps be slightly at fault um, for their goal Natalie in terms of creativity didn't really see much from Scott Arfield or George Boyd although I've seen George Boyd was again running further than anyone else in the Premier League so produced something at least um, Goodmanson only got about 20 minutes from the bench do you think he had much of an impact in the final third? Uh, no, not really, um, to be honest. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I was impressed with him when he came on. I thought he looked sharp and I thought he looked very promising. Um, I think, well, I don't think that the midfield throughout the whole game was obviously our problem area and I think most of us realised quite early on that that's where the game was going to be lost if that was going to be the case. Um, we are really struggling for any any inspiration at all from either our wide players or from our central midfield and a lot of that is down to losing Joey he he created a lot of our momentum last season in the set coming from central midfield and we have lost that and we haven't yet replaced it um so whilst I was pleased when um when he came on afterwards I'd, I just think the game had already been lost by then so I just I don't know if that's necessarily down to him or whether or not it was just the team in general was on a little bit of a downer but you know it's only the first game and like I said before there were some really positive signs but we we just have to concentrate now on finding something from that midfield. Yeah, I think I was I was looking I was quite excited when Goodmanson came on but um yeah, I agree it, it didn't really get the opportunity to to show himself really. Um it wasn't it wasn't that he didn't perform it's just that those opportunities weren't there for him. We weren't giving him the ball that he needed. He didn't get the space he needed. Um, other than that one free kick, which was, um, should we say, not great. Um, he didn't really have any any opportunities, really. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. But I think he had some neat touches, but that's it. Yeah, I'd like to see him come on earlier, actually. I think um, there was a period, not one before Swansea scored, actually. There was a period where we were really on top. And at that time, I want to see take the initiative and really try and push and make a positive change and be a bit more proactive I think Dash is a bit too reactive from the bench sometimes but again these are things that we've been saying on the podcast for two years so I don't want to overlabor the point of it too much um, on the creativity point by the way according to Squawker we created three chances in the game um, I'm not sure which chances they've deemed chances and which they say aren't chances but that's an indication of, of our problems in Saturday's game. Um, James, defensively though, we were quite good. Llorente is a very good player. We marshalled him quite well. It seemed like Keane was sticking to him on a man-to-man basis. Tom Heaton made a few saves, but pretty much routine ones. Swansea didn't cause us that many problems. No, I think, really, to, to summarise on the defence, I think coming into the season, that may be like our strongest area, to be honest. 
Um, even though it's the same, you know, d- defence from the championship, I think it was, uh, you know, probably above championship standard uh, defence. Um, but I, th- I think one area we did struggle, I think Stephen Ward struggled early on, but he seemed to sort of recover a little bit. But um, Barrow did have the, you know, the beating of him for a large portion of the game. But in the centre particularly, you know, we were really solid. I think there was the one uh, moment where Ben Mee tried to sort of do a real Ferdinand and walk the ball out and, and got cut out. But we recovered well and obviously he made a certain distance. And I think really it's just that, that one lapse for the goal where, you know, somehow Leroy Fur got got free in the middle of the area and, and had an easy chance to stick it away. Because I thought the rest of the game, Leroy Fur was maybe the worst player on the pitch. I've, I don't think I've ever seen someone who looks like they're moving in slow motion, but he managed it and to see him score was maybe the most cutting part of it. He seems to be one of those. I remember he scored for QPR against us at Loftus Road in the Premier League a couple of years ago and he seems to just be one of those players who can not have much impact on the game but still come up with a goal. Um, it was like watching grass grow for the most part when he was moving. It was it was that slow. He still scored the winner though, supposedly. I know. How did he pay? Yeah. Um, one of the things that made a difference to me, Natalie, we've already talked a little bit about Goodmanton, but the fact that it's once you were able to turn to a player like Montero, who has proved ability of making the difference in Premier League games, and he seems to have the better of his his battle with Matt Lyfton. I don't know if Lyfton was tired or just struggled a bit with the extra pace, but Montero, although there was a bit of diving from him as well, he seemed to um, get past Lawson a bit too easily for me and created the goal by getting around the wing as well. Yeah, I think um, there were, obviously, as as the game got on, there were a, f- a few of those episodes where um, our back four just got caught out a little bit. Um, I agree with I agree with James, actually, and it was a point that I, I made on Saturday. I was actually genuinely impressed with our defence, and I thought certainly Keane looked like he'd been playing in the Premier League all his life, and, and Heaton looked very confident and very assured as well. Um, but like you say, as the game went on, you know, there were some... Um, just little bits where, you know, like they just got caught out of, you know, out of position or they just got left for pace. Um, it does leave us with the question and it's one that's giving me a bit of a headache, to be honest, as to what we do about Flanagan. Now he's come in. Um, I'd say based on Saturday's performance, it would be Loughton that's now looking to be the vulnerable one out of the two um, fullbacks for me. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's really, really hard to judge them on one game. You know, it's the first game of the season. It's their first competitive game for a while. They're in a new league and they came up against, albeit they weren't incredibly inspiring, but they were still a very organised, very efficient Swansea side who've got a lot of Premier League experience now. So I'm not going to be too harsh on them. I'm sure Dyche will pick up on these points. But yeah, I think there are some questions that, that need to be answered. Yeah, Flanagan, I think he's maybe one for next week's podcast because he can't play against Liverpool anyway, can he? Um, but yeah, I think both fullbacks didn't have the best of games, so maybe they would be be vulnerable. Um, in terms of tactics, Kevin, rather than team selection, no real surprises from Burnley in that it was the four four two that we've seen um, throughout Dash's time at the club, really. But Swansea played the three men in midfield, and that seemed to give them advantage. You expect them to dominate the ball anyway, but there was real stretches of periods in the game where we just weren't in it at all. And it was the extra man in midfield who, who came up with the goal in the end. Do you think that four four two is something that Dash is going to have to rethink? Well, I was talking earlier about how the the pattern of the game was exactly the same as it was two years ago. Um, 
And I think I think we have this same conversation about um, pretty much every week two years ago when we we're back in the Premier League, and it is it is that that issue that we we, we play four for two and it works it works really well, but sometimes in Premier League it it's not quite effective when you've not got. I think four for two can be really good when you've got one of the best teams in the league, uh, which we clearly had last season. But what I what I found particularly on Saturday was that we had. Um, We've got particularly people like David Jones who thrives on having a lot of time on the ball in the middle. Uh, and when you're in a four-four-two up against a, a five-man midfield, he just doesn't get that time at all, um, which meant we were we were so often overrun in the middle. Um, and it, come on, Dice isn't going to change. I'm very I'm very much surprised if Dice changes four-four-two. Um, so something, but something needs to happen in there. I, can't, I don't think we can use those same that same approach. Uh, even if we use the same shape, I don't think we can use the same approach. Uh, whether Defoe can come in and offer something slightly different that perhaps works in a four-four-two in the Premier League, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I hope there's hope. I, hope, I do hope Dyche has got something else up its sleeve. Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing is this week or maybe last week, um, Dyche was in the press. I think it was at the Premier League launch day. Um, saying how um, English managers don't get a good reputation, they, no one believes that they're tactically tacti- tacti- astute. Um, but if, if from the press's perspective, if Deitch as a manager only ever plays four four two and doesn't ever change things, um, and is is very often late with his substitutions, then it's no really no real wonder that people aren't believing um, that uh, British managers are up to it. Um, not that that said, I do really like Dice, so don't take this as a criticism because because this is like one of his only real flaws is his inflexibility. Um, but yeah, it's something that is kind of interesting with all those quotes hanging around and, yeah, and being I, pushed back against. I, I enjoyed the stuff that he was talking about pizza and like pizza is bad. Hot take: people are a genius for identifying that pizza is not healthy. But yeah, the, the stuff about tactical flexibility was just like. Mate, you play the same team in the same formation every week and don't make changes until about ten minutes to go. So it was odd that he'd chosen to to pick up on that. Um, one final thing on on this game in particular then was the fact that we did switch the formation a little bit towards the end. James Lukas Jukovic came on and we went to a front three. Duke. The Duke two hundred to one was it to, to top goal scorer again? Yes, yeah, yeah. I've got I've got bet one of the betting. I can't remember which one. But yeah, they got to back bit. So it was um, yeah, two hundred to one for Duke top golden boot, and I think it was something like two thousand five hundred for Duke top goal scorer and West Brom Premier League. So you know he's getting some game time. So you know it's uh, the bet's still on. Gamble responsibly. Um, but yeah, the move to front three, James. It did. Um, produce a bit more pressure but not much in the way of chances as a deflected Dean Marnie shot wasn't there but do you think Duke had any real impact on the game I've seen people saying he played really well but for me it was just fairly standard Duke coming on for 10 minutes and winning a couple of headers I, I thought Duke played really well actually you know, he, he did win a couple of headers and I think that was the job he was on for but for me the problem with going to the front three was that we sort of crowded it out a little bit too much and you know, he was winning the headers, but then they were kind of pinballing off a combination of our attackers and their defenders, and nothing was really falling to you know actually give you a decent chance. I, I I still can't really understand why we didn't take Boyd off maybe early in the game. I know you've not got a lot of options on the bench, but 
we, we've seen Carter can have an impact on games. I think it was just we needed to exploit the wings a little bit and, and try and get some balls into the box because um, all our chances came from balls into the box on Saturday. You know, Volks probably should have uh, done better with one at the near post. Um, and if we'd sort of just got the ball into the box later, or maybe we could have could have got a goal. I mean, I think it was mainly encouraging though to see that Andre Gray stayed on for the full night because as long as Gray's on, there's there is an opportunity there to to get something out of nothing. I think when you looked at the, when you look at the, the squad, uh, particularly the bench, it really highlighted that we need um, at least another addition up front and and out wide because other than Good Monson, the only other option um, on the bench was. Uh, Michael Kiley, who I, I'd be surprised is still with us uh, at the end of the month, uh, and even if he is, he's he, he's not exactly the player who you want to bring on and have this big impact um, in the last ten minutes if we're struggling for a goal. So that that was the big thing for me. I, we, we we were screaming out for changes, but when you looked at the at the team sheet and you wonder where those changes are going to come from. We don't have them, Kevin, in the squad. That's that's one of our biggest problems and one of the things that we needed to change in the summer. We, like Swansea made impact changes on Saturday that won them the game. We don't have that throughout our squad. We have, basically, whenever we make changes, it's pretty much like for like, but just a fresh pair of legs. Do you think it was a mistake to let Matt Taylor and Lloyd Dyer go? Yes, I do. Definitely time to move on. Someone who is a central midfielder, faultless segue on the Northern Ever podcast, is Stephen Defoe, who it looks like is going to be our club record signing, hopefully going to be announced on Tuesday. It might well be announced uh, before the podcast comes up, actually. So thanks to Burnley Football Club for hanging around rather than just announcing it, although there's been pictures of him on social media at the surf with his girlfriend, so presumably it is imminent. Um and Kevin is an exciting player. This is a guy that's got international experience, although he's not played for Belgium for a couple of years. He's played in the Champions League. He's obviously a high-class player and someone that Dash has been desperate to, to get in since he went to Belgium to see him play a couple of weeks ago and talk him round and presumably make him an omelette or some Belgian waffles or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If it's, uh, it's, I think it's a very, very exciting sign. And I think um, he can hopefully had that had a bit of... Um, class to the centre to the midfield and hopefully come in and control the midfield in the way that Joey Barton did. Um, I think particularly on Saturday that's something we really liked. Um, but yeah, it's a very exciting signing. Um, I think it's, it's it's a signing that sets out uh, Dyche's vision for what he wants us to do this season um, and hopefully we can get another, another couple of his sort of calibre. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him in the team now. Do we, do we assume that he will go straight into the team? He's played pre-season and he has been playing for for Anderlecht, so we're not going to see a Joey Barton two months on the bench type scenario, are we, James? He'll presumably play against Liverpool, assuming it's all done. I had a debate with this about my dad on Saturday, actually. He he thinks he would have to wait his turn because David Jones and uh, Dean Marnie haven't done anything wrong. But if it is... Well, I, thought, I thought the pair of them were OK, actually, on um, certainly didn't do anything that warrants dropping. But my case was that if Defoe is this record signing that he supposedly is, because I think it's been touted as like six, seven million, isn't it? Which puts him, you know, right up there with Gray, depending on what the add-ons are. Then you, you don't bring in a record signing and sit him on the bench the first game. I mean, what sort of signal does that send? I think that could partly be maybe why we miss out on some players, you know, who are going to clubs that aren't Premier League, if you say, well, you're going to come to us and you're going to have to wait your turn to get inside, or the two players are re-signed for minimal money, 
many years ago, I think you would be a bit like, well, you know, there's several other teams who want my signature and they're going to start me every week. So, see you later. Maybe. One of the things with the DeFord deal, it was reported in various places that he was set to turn down Burnley England play in the UAE, which is essentially early retirement. We've obviously talked him round um, to come and play for Burnley instead, which is obviously a positive. Anyone who signs for Burnley obviously wants to come and play for Burnley. Um, but Adam, I think this, surely this is a, a positive that we've broadened our net a little bit, having struggled to get in players like Hendrick and Stevens from the Championship. It's a sign that we do have a European scouting network and it does work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can couldn't agree more with that. I think we've all said that previously that our our net hasn't been cast wide enough. In for example, last year, last year's summer's uh, summer transfer window, um, we all thought that we were, we were looking at a very small proportion of players relative to to what Dyche wanted. Um, and yeah, and this shows that we are willing to to look at further afield and maybe not be so pre- precise in what we want. Because I know, uh, I think. I'm not sure Dyche has ever said this, but I could could imply previously that we wanted um, people with with good um, team team ethic, um, good um, like English skills, and and all. He was very specific, I think, um, previously. Um, but may, maybe now we're we're looking a bit further afield and, and not being so precise in all the criteria um, that we're looking for. Because um, because before I think he he's got a bit of a temperament. Um, as, I yeah, saw a tweet earlier from involved in various yeah. controversies. Certainly a Barton replacement in that sense. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we can reform him. Him as well. We could uh, get a reputation as a, a sort of um, therapy clinic of a football club. <laughs> Finishing school <laughs> for bad lads. Yeah, maybe. Um, you never know what, what sort of reputation you're going to get. But yeah, it's, it's great news that we're looking further afield. Um, and. I wonder if there are any other targets that we don't really know about. And I know is it Zayek, um, who I think was going to go to Roma, um, but that that's another example of us looking abroad. Um, and and you have to remember, previously looking abroad hasn't been that successful. You, we all remember uh, Fernando Guerrero and uh, Remco van der Schaaf and all these different foreign. Don't even uh, mention the Sartre Adam because he would have been sensational. Okay, James, whatever you say. Um, if he had crippled himself. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, Frederick Nimani. Oh yes. Oh um, yeah. Well, some of these names. I, I, yeah. I think, I think part of the the reason we sort of maybe start to look abroad is value for money. I mean, yeah, the markup at the moment on English players is absolutely obscene. Uh, to get an English default, you're probably going to pay like fourteen, fifteen million, uh, and that's obscene. Just getting marked up for being. British and playing in the championship isn't quite right. Not even like Britain. Jeff Henry's obviously Irish, but a couple of games at the Euros seems to have doubled his value completely. Um, Natalie, Natalie, I assume, like all of us on the podcast, you're not a particular aficionado of the the Belgian leagues. We'll maybe try and get someone who's watched and liked a bit more often on the podcast next week. But before, certainly on paper, seems to be a clear upgrade on our midfield options. Oh, absolutely. It's a very exciting signing. And I think it's one of the signings that we've been waiting for all summer, just a real um, headline. Um, I, I, just, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I know him and I know who he is and I've seen him play, but I'm, obviously I'm not I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, I just had an awareness of who he was. And it's the fact that they have 
you know, we've criticised the board throughout the summer of being, um, you know, not perhaps pushing themselves in a difficult transfer market and, you know, speculating as to what the problem was behind the scenes. But they've come out with this fantastic signing, you know, right towards the end of the the deadline. Um, And I'm really excited. I can't wait to see him play. I think he's going to, I think he's going to replace Joy to start off with. Um, I think we all agree that we need um, further midfield options, but I think this certainly solves a problem um, that we had when we lost Joy to Rangers. Yeah, I think um, it's it's it is very exciting. I agree with a lot of what's been said. I think um, Defoe's one of these players. I think who maybe didn't fulfil his early potential. There was a lot of talk of him potentially going to Manchester United earlier in his career. Then he had a bad injury. There was a letter that Sir Alex Ferguson apparently wrote to him, um, basically saying that we're going to come back in for you, just get fit again. So this is a player that has a, a strong pedigree. It's obviously just not gone. His way he moved to Porto and ended up back in Belgium, so it's not quite where it's out for him, but he's only 28, so still time for him to make a difference. And Maybe he's thinking he's putting himself in the shop window, Adam, back into the Premier League. Is that a th- fair thing to say? Yeah, he could, yeah, could very much use us as a, a stepping stone. It's quite good that we've got a three, I think it's a three-year plus an extra um, year, if uh, like an option on the end. Um, so that's quite good news if he's using, using us for a, a stepping stone. We've got some time to to use him and then we can um, get a good fee for him at the end. Um, but the other thing, great thing about this signing is the pun potential. I think this this, uh, this uh, player has got pun potential like no other Burnley uh, player I can remember. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about that. As you, all, all, Everyone that's been reading my Twitter today, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. A headline writer in a tweet writer's dream, which brings us faultlessly onto the next part of the podcast, which is Tweet of the Week. So, over to Natalie. Tweet of the week, tweet of the week. Tweet of the week, tweet of the week. Tweet of the week, tweet of the week, tweet of the week. And this week we have a very special limited edition tweet of the week. Um, given there has not yet officially announced news of our new midfield signing, we asked our listeners on Twitter to send in their best puns um, so we could have a little bit of a giggle on uh, the tweet of the week feature. And here's with some of the best ones. Um, so Matty Bush tw- tweeted a moment of silence for what was the last ever Brian Stock day from this deforward Soz 15th of August we shall celebrate Lee Beckett sent us a tweet and said if he signs will Sean retire his favoured defor for two deformation <laughs> I like that one um, Ross Webber whoa whoa, sent- whoa 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 I was first with the defor for two gag that's mine but actually sorry one moment please to credit Jamie Smith in his pending copyright action yeah. that he did actually start the 442 <laughs> I want to be the week on the podcast carry on Jamie yeah. Jamie I, I think that I saw that the 442 no before way. you did I yeah. think I did no sorry we'll cut this up <laughs> our editor will cut all this out <laughs> Jamie's going to make sure that little section's edited. Um, Ross Webber tweeted us to say, it feels like we've been waiting on this transfer announcement diff forever, which is very true, and we've still not had an official announcement yet. Um, but my absolute favourite one, which really made me laugh quite a lot, was from Jim, well James Nightingale, who tweeted, turns out Deitche might be half decent at Belgian waffles too. So well done, everybody. You made us laugh quite a lot with those Brilliant. tweets. I think I've still always thundered by mentioning Belgian waffles a bit earlier in the podcast as well. Um, also, I mentioned for 
Brian Stock there last week we mentioned Brian Stock Day was upcoming. It was on Thursday, four years since Brian Stock signed for Burnley. It was the last central midfielder that we paid a fee for, although Stephen Defoe will bring Brian Stock Day to an end um, if he completes his signing. So to mark the occasion, we thought, why not speak to the man himself? So we did. Kevin spoke to Brian Stock, and here's what they had to say to each other. So we've been celebrating uh, Brian Stock Day, which is four years yeah. since he signed a central midfielder. So did you know you had a day in your honour? No, well, not until yesterday. Um, I was actually quite uh, surprised, really, the amount of people that were uh, were tweeting. Um, so, you know, a bit of a surprise on both fronts of the fact that a day after myself, and not only that, the fact that there's so many good players that the, the club have signed, but obviously uh, on free transfers. So, yeah, definitely. And I saw you. Uh, I saw you interacting with a few fans about the. Uh about the, the merits of the day. So what, what's your take on this not buying a central midfield from, from since 2012? Yeah, I mean, I mean you, can, you can count so many teams that have actually bought players for a lot of money um, and not paid off. I mean, the, the, the way that those who conduct themselves in particular, you know, among many other players, you know, Terry Barton's another player as well, but you, you look at those sort of players um, and it's, it, it amazes me that the fact they're not you know, singing the praises of the of the manager because you know two promotions in three years is is a, is a great achievement and to be able to do that by you know making the most out of the transfer market is it, just an unbelievable job that he's done. Um, and yeah, I know that you know they want to see some uh, some money spent on players, but you can look at it the other way around. Now that the, the club are financially stable, uh, they've improved the ground, they've improved the training ground, so you know. Right now, for a club of Burnley size, they've got you know they've got a great um, tradition, great club. But if you compare the size of the club uh, compared to the most of the, the Premiership clubs, you know they're, they're quite a small club in, in comparison. So uh, you think of the, the amount of money that some of these teams are spending in the Premiership is dwarfed by the amount that Burnley can spend on players as well. Uh, yeah, and you said there was uh, you said there was quite a few fans tweeting about it on Twitter. So what was your what was your favourite response that you saw? Uh, I think one of them put in it um, some kind of um, comment regarding the fact that it's made it made the day. I can't remember what it was, but uh, a life achievement or something like that, which just makes you, it makes you laugh really. But um, I think it's I think it's good that you know players can interact with fans. Um, I know obviously um, I'm not actually at Burnley anymore, but I appreciate you know some of the uh, support, some of the people that have got a bit. Uh, don't know how much you follow Burnley these days, uh, but so we're back in the Premier League. So, what are you expecting this from, from us this season? Um, I, I think any team Premier, Premier League is going to be uh, it's going to be tough, no matter what it is. I, I think you look at the way that Bournemouth uh, maintained their safety quite early on in the season is a you know was a great achievement, and I'm sure Burnley would be you know their main objective is to stay in the Premier League. It's going to be tough, obviously. Um, there's a lot of money that's been spent uh, by other teams. Um, so yeah it's going to be a real tough league but you know I think they've got a terrific manager in charge they do things the right way um, they work great um, we'll be we'll, we'll probably catch a few teams by surprise um, uh, and and you know they'll, 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 they'll go down fighting which is you know I'm sure every every fan that will be watching a game that can uh, see their team giving everything they got you know I think they walk away happy no matter what the result is Great. Uh, I know you said you're on the team bus, so what are you up to these days uh, and what are your aims for this season? Yeah, I, um, I play part-time football for a team called Havant Waterloo. We start our season on Saturday. 
um, and also set up my football academy, um, which we launched our first summer camp last week, so that was success. Um, and yeah, really one of the main reasons that I'm down on the South Coast is my family from there, um, so is my wife, um, and we decided to, to, to make that decision for my children's future by moving back home rather than looking for another year or two years at another football club. We, we made the decision to do that, and uh, yeah, I'm really happy. Great. Uh, and what are your aims for this season? Uh, 100% is promotion. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we let ourselves down last year, um, so we need to bounce straight back up into the. Um, so yeah, promotion definitely for for uh, for having. And we, you know, on paper we've got a very strong squad. We just need to start proving that on the pitch. Fantastic. Um, yeah, well, that, that's that's all for me. I'll let you uh, relax on the bus now. Yeah, no worries. Uh, bunk, no out. problem. Uh, Cheers, Kevin. Bye. Thanks a lot, mate. So that was Brian Stock to mark Brian Stock Day. But a midfielder that we signed who we didn't pay any money for, who's done very, very well, David Jones, is being linked with a move away to Sheffield Wednesday. Apparently they've bid for him and it meets a release clause in his contract. So potentially Dave Jones could be leaving the club after two promotions. Um, James, everyone who listens to the podcast knows that me and you are both big fans of David Jones. But I suppose with the four coming in, Marnie was preferred to Jones a couple of times to the back end of last season. Is it perhaps a move that makes sense for all parties, assuming it's not just paper talk? I'm not sure. It does come back to a uh, you know, de-4-4-2, doesn't it? If, if we get rid of it, then you'd like to think that Jones, de and Marnie in the middle could be a good midfield three. I, mean, I think we all remember the first time round in the Premier League, how influential having Alexandrus in front of the defence was for us. I think that was really key to us nearly staying up. And I think that is the, the way to play it in the Premier League, isn't it? So if you've got three of them, that gives you plenty of opportunity to you know, play Jones as the, the holding player, uh, <laughs> uh, as the holding player, and you know, put the ball out a lot. Um, just, just for the, the listeners, uh, any background noise is actually jet skis. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm staying Obviously. on my balcony. Uh, Obviously, jet skis. This, this, beats, this beats the dog. <laughs> so there are jet skis in the background. It's a, a very, very nice lake or lock, as the Scots call them. Um, Why did they call them locks? And what, what is the biggest lake, uh, freshwater lake <laughs> in the country by water volume, James? Is it Loch Ness? <laughs> that, that would be Loch Ness. And here I am sat by the biggest lake by water surface area in the United Kingdom. Thrilling. Loch Lomond. This beats uh, the flood sunlight. Anyway, to, to get back to um, talking about midfielders over the noise of jet skis, um, yeah, I, I think the three of them together obviously could be key and so I think it is an interesting one, but I, I would be concerned if we sold him because even if he does miss out in the side to Diddy Four and he's not going to get in, then he, he's still you know quality depth to the side uh, to the squad I think, and that's obviously key in the Premier League. I think we saw last time around Marnie's injury probably derailed our opportunity to stay up, and I'd hate to see that happen again. That's a really good point. Neil. It only takes one injury, doesn't it? Yeah, it only takes one, and at the moment, I mean. If one of the two gets injured, you bring in what Freddie Overstad, and we've seen glimpses of how good a player he is. But at the same time, we've also seen games like particularly Fulham away last season where he went missing for most of it. So I think it's you know too early in his career at Burnley to sort of say, you know, you can be our number one backup, and if something goes wrong, we're going to rely on you for the rest of the season. Um, because I think that'd be sort of you know 
following the old saying of prepare, you know, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. I think you know, for for Johnson, kind of personally, surely he's got something to prove as well. I mean, he's been promoted is it four or five times from the championship now, uh, which is obviously a, a great a great little stat for him. But it also says that he's. He's almost he's like a failed Premier League midfielder as well. He's never really been able to have an impact in the Premier League. So surely at a personal level, he's he's he he'll want to prove to himself that he can have a real impact in the Premier League and he can stay up and and, and play well and really thrive in the Premier League, which so far he's shown that he's not not able to do. So surely I, I can't see why he'd want to back away from that challenge either. Well, I think um, to play devil's advocate a bit, he's seen all summer was trying to buy players to replace him probably not feeling particularly valued he only started on Saturday because we've not been able to sign Hendrick we've not been able to sign Stevens and Defoe was still ongoing if, if one or two of those midfielders had been playing had been signed then Jones might well have been sat on the bench I think also I don't see Jones as the player you would bring on from the bench so although he would be good as cover if someone got injured I don't think he would be a player we'd turn to to try and change a game I think James is absolutely right about a, a midfield three um, but that's not really a shape Dash has ever really played with, so I don't know how likely it would be that we do that, although Jones, Defoe and Marnie would look a quite a strong trio, so I can kind of see why why he'd be interested. It obviously makes a lot of sense for Sheffield Wednesday. They'd be getting a player who's proven to be one of the best midfielders of his type, certainly at championship level, um, but I don't think there's any indication from Jones himself yet as to whether, whether he wants to go or not. I'm sure Burnley will be making it clear what what their preference would be. Um, Natalie, what's your view on this? Dave Jones player that we've watched basically for three, four years and barely put a foot wrong in the, in the midfield, although he does divide opinion. It would be weird to see a Burnley team without Dave Jones in it. Yeah, it really would. And I, I really don't know how I feel about this, to be honest. I mean... <laughs> My gut instinct is that that Marnie is a better central midfielder, and certainly when Marnie's at the top of his game, he he brings a different dynamic to the game than Jones does. But Jones has qualities that he brings to the game that Marnie doesn't. And actually, Jones did really well last season, and he played really well alongside Joey. And it, I don't know, like you say, it, he's really unpopular midfielder, and so many people are desperate for us to sell him, and I don't understand why. Um, it's maybe just a knee-jerk reaction to the sideways pass, which seems to annoy people. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I personally, I, I rate Jones, and I, I think um, which one of the two of them we drop for Defoe is a real headache, and I'm not sure I would want to make that decision, to be honest. But. I, Ooh, I, I don't know. I, I like Jones, and I think he brings. I think he brings some um, support to the to the defense. Um, just you know, outside that back four, and I, and I think he's 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 solid, and and you know he he doesn't make that many mistakes for me. So I would be I wouldn't be hastily dropping him or selling him. But then what what do you do? It's a, it, this is a real dilemma, I think, for Dyche. This is going to be an interesting one to see how he goes. I think it's. It's probably going to be the biggest test of Deitch's man management skills, I think. It is a, a really big decision because, as we saw in the last Premier League season, Dean Marnie got a serious injury. He had various injuries last year. I'm not saying he's injury prone, but he has missed a lot of games in the last two seasons. So to to say Marnie and Defoe is going to be the first choice pairing and then we can let Jones go, that does mean that one injury puts us in position where it's Arfield or Overstad in midfield again which is less than ideal I would say assuming that we're not 
going to be able to sign another midfielder, say Stevens, which seems to still be ongoing. Um, Adam, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just going to ask, when was the last time we had proper in like proper depth to our central midfield? Um, I can't, I can't actually remember the last time. Is it no. well, promotion this... season? No, it can't have been. This this is all part of Brian Stockdale, isn't it? It highlighted the the lack of options we've had in central midfield for what seems like forever. Yeah, but what? But even then, it, even when we had Stock, there wasn't that much depth, was there? Because we no. seemed screwed whenever Stock got injured. We Which we was kind of Stock was fantastic, and I don't think we ever used him to his full abilities. Did we? Didn't help Burnley fans booing when he, he misplaced a long pass. It was like he's just played a seventy yard pinpoint ball, and then you boo him next because he just knocks it out of play. Never pleased are the Burnley fans. Didn't run enough. Didn't run enough. Brown stone appreciate. Very very true. Very true. You got to do a minimum of seven miles a game to to be a Burnley. <laughs> Uh, moving on then to the next game, also at Turf Moor because of the fixture swap deal with Liverpool because Anfield is still being rebuilt. Apparently means two home games to start the season. It's already a sellout at Turf Moor, so it should be a, a good atmosphere on Saturday. Natalie Liverpool, 4-3 uh, winners at Arsenal, which probably showed the best and worst of their their team under Jürgen Klopp and it can be devastating on the attack but also pretty awful at the back what are you expecting from Liverpool at the weekend? Um, yeah I, I watched the game on, on Sunday just uh, to have a look at uh, obviously who we were um, coming up against next and I was largely terrified after I watched the game I was beginning to wish I'd never watched it um, they do look really really terrified at the back but like you say they, they are vulnerable up front um, if we can if we can find more spark than we did against Swansea, if we can find some creativity, if we can get our field Boyd playing to their absolute best and running at their defence, then we, we've got some chances there. And I do think that Gray's pace and, and the strength of Vokes will um, cause their defence problems. If we don't create anything on Saturday, we are in real danger of having an absolute... Well, how do I feel about this? I was about to say we're in danger of getting absolutely hammered, but you know, one of the, the real positives that we've said against Swansea was the... Um, <laughs> we only lost 1-0, yeah. At least we only lost 1-0. And actually, <laughs> you know, the back four did... At least we're not Blackburn. So. <laughs> but I do expect, I do expect that Liverpool will create a lot more than Swansea did. They won't, you know, Swansea sat quite deep at times um, and they didn't take too many risks going forward and leave themselves exposed at the back. I think that um, I'm expecting Liverpool to be a lot more attacking. And um, so whilst that will give us um, a few more opportunities to counter... Um, it, we're going to have to defend for our absolute lives and we are going to have to create. Um, we'll have to see whether they do or not, but this is going to be a real test. Just I think there's an opportunity there as well, but I think when you've got a team like Liverpool, if they're going to come forward and leave um, the defence a little bit more open than Swansea did, but I think Andrew Gray, the, the, the ideal type of player to have to come and um, manipulate that space that's going to be what, what's going to be left open. He, he thrives on being... Um, being, being on the shoulder of the last man and then sprinting past. So if Liverpool are going to leave more space open like that uh, and Gray can take advantage of that, then I think we've got... that. That's a potentially a, a big opportunity for us and I'm, I'm sure that's something that Sean Dyche uh, will be looking to capitalise on. Just a, just a very quick answer for Danny Ings wanting to get in there 18. Yeah, that's very true. He was uh, left out entirely, wasn't he? There was quotes that the cop essentially thought he was surplus to requirements, so it would be interesting to see if he 
goes somewhere else. Um, how do you feel about that, Jamie? Actually, that was something I was going to raise with you. How do you feel about the potential for the club to go back in and try and see if we can get him back or back, bring him back home for the season? Uh, well, firstly, I don't think you can have two Premier League loans from the same club. So oh, I actually, think that's having Fanning yeah. means that wouldn't be possible. Okay, well, how would you feel about us putting a cheeky big to sign him back then? Obviously, he's a very good player, but I was thinking about this earlier, and I, I don't know, would, would we play him with votes again and not play Gray? That seems insane, or would Ings Let's go play classic with Gray? Jamie, or... classic Burnley idea. Let's put him on the wing. Well, exactly. We might end up doing something like that. There's some, I read a preview for the, the game at the weekend that suggested Barnes was going to play on the wing. It's like, he's injured, but he's a striker, so... Probably not. But see, Burnley, Burnley do, have, do have a long history of playing strikers as wingers. <laughs> I was about to say, actually, um, anyone who watched Liverpool on Sunday, Alberto Moreno had an absolute shocker. So it would certainly make sense for Gray to play on the right of the attack, not necessarily as a winger, but certainly try and go in behind Moreno, who leaves acres of space in behind. That's one of the things I'd be looking out for if Moreno's in the team in particular. Um, on Ings, yeah, I'd, I'd, I don't know. I think um, going back for old players doesn't often work out, does it? We've seen like Adi Akinbay came back and wasn't that great. Or at Blake was, but there's been countless times when it's just not worked out. So although Danny Ings is still very young, I just don't know if it would be that great an idea. Maybe he needs to go somewhere else and prove himself. Um, James, what are you expecting from this game? Liverpool have beaten us four times in a row in the league without conceding a goal, which is a nice positive statistic. I'm expecting a tough challenge um, but I think we knew that before the season started and obviously the way they managed to score four goals against Arsenal I don't think it makes it seem like any you know any easier a task but um, you know I think there was positives in the way we defended on Saturday um, and you know there's if, if we can you know avoid the, the one mistake that led to the goal on Saturday then maybe there's a way we can get something from the game. You know, I, I think anyone would be happy with a point going in. Um, but I think it's been pointed out already, Andre Gray is probably the, the play he'd really like for, you know, to try and get them on the counter-attack. And, and maybe we do need to sort of play more direct style to, to Gray and make sure we get him in central positions because, you know, I think every chance he had on, on Saturday really was from outside the lines of the six-yard box and really we need to get him in between the, the lines of the six-yard box and, let him have all the net to sort of pick at and, and try and beat the keeper. And you know, maybe if we can get an early goal on the counter attack, then we can hold out and you know get three points out of it. But I think anyone would be happy taking a draw with me right now. Yeah, we certainly need to give Gray better service. I think he only really had two sites of goal on Saturday, and one of those was produced all by his own work from the halfway line. So we certainly need to get him more involved in the game um, Adam last word on the Liverpool game goes to you what are you expecting from the game and give us a prediction as well please I uh, after after watching the game on Sunday I think we've got a good chance if Moreno plays he had an absolute shocker he was absolutely awful um, so if we can take advantage of that then we might be in with a chance otherwise they look terrifying in attack um, so um, yeah we could could be under the cosh a little bit but um, you never know um, we might we might manage to get something out of the game. I'm going to go for a 2-1 defeat. Liverpool going to win 2-1. Positivity on the run out of the podcast. Kevin, yeah, you next. Um, yeah, so I, I I work in Liverpool uh, with a family full of Scousers. Um, 
So we, we need to get something out of the game. We can't get beat. Although um, my, the family has um, booked a holiday away for next week, so maybe they're anticipating a, anticipating a defeat. Um, I, 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 I'm not... I'm not too pessimistic. Uh, obviously, the Liverpool are big favourites, but I, I really feel we can we can sneak a, a one-all draw. Not sure. I, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if we won, uh, but it, it certainly would be um, it's unexpected. So I'm going to go for one-all draw. Fair enough, Natalie. What about you? Well, what did we say last week? Oh God, we... I forgot about that. <laughs> Last week in the in the warm up podcast for the season, I made an absolutely disastrous decision to bin reverse. Boo! Boo! On the that, I thought, well, we'll give it a try. We'll we see spent what forty minutes talking about what went wrong on Saturday, and the answer's right in front of us. Exactly. We could have saved ourselves a lot of time. So I'm going. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to bring it back. I've got a really bad feeling about Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that Liverpool front line is going to run absolute circles around us and I predict we are going to get beat 3-0. I hope we don't. Only 3-0. Only 3-0. I hope we don't. And I just want to just um, give a quick shout out to one of our listeners, John Roberts, who's a Wurzel Claret. He tweeted us in to say that he was taking his US-born Surrey-bred daughter to her first game at the turf on Saturday against Liverpool. So, uh, John, I really hope I'm wrong and that we don't get beat 3-0, but I do have a really bad feeling. So I'm sorry if I ruin it for your daughter. The problem with this is last season the the, um, the reverse psychology was kind of so unrealistic, no one believed it. But this season the reverse psychology will be so believable <laughs> that true. no one will know what you're thinking. Yeah. I have re- I genuinely got a really bad feeling about it. <laughs> Three nil is quite realistic. Score. I, think, I think the only way this is going to work, Brom, is if you start predicting double figures. <laughs> oh God! See, yeah, that's see true. how it goes this time, and if it still doesn't work. We'll go for ah, double figures for the Chelsea game. Yeah, we will. We will. James, okay. no one predicting a Burnley win so far. Are you going to book the trend? Um, no, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Oh, it's bad when James, the most positive member of the podcast, is only predicting a draw. It's an Andre Gray goal, though. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, not a hat-trick, but an Andre Gray goal. Fair I thought you said the hat-trick was back this week, James. Only yeah, one goal. Paul. Very, very disappointing. Um, I think we're going to lose. Maybe not 3 0. <laughs> so, positives will be at least it wasn't 3 0. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult. Liverpool very, very quick in attack. And we saw with Montero for Swansea that that's a weakness in our back line, I think, down the wings. So, possibly some problems there. That's it for this week's podcast, though. We've um, run out of time, I'm afraid. So, we'll be back next week to talk about the Liverpool game and to look ahead to Chelsea. Um, if you've got any feedback or comments or questions or anything about the podcast, please do get in touch. As ever, the email address is podcast at net, or you can also tweet us at never. Net, thanks as well to Brian Stock for taking the time to talk to us to mark Brian Stock Day. Hopefully Brian Stock Day won't be a thing anymore if Stephen DeFore becomes a Burnley player, so we'll talk about that next week as well. But that's Not it for this because we don't want to talk to him. should say that because obviously he's a lovely well, guy. Kevin said he was very nice, so maybe it will be a good thing if we got to do it again next year. I think people are a bit bored of Brian Stockdale, that's all. So anyway, thanks to James, Natalie, Kevin and Adam for joining us on the podcast, as well as Brian Stock and I've been Jamie Smith. And that's it for this week's podcast. Goodbye. Twentieth centuries and 1900s, isn't it?
Oh, God. That is right, isn't it? I'm having some serious doubts about my own sanity. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.